First John is, you know, as I said, a five-chapter letter, fantastic letter. If you've never read it in its totality, I'd highly suggest it. The word or the phrase born of God occurs seven times in a five-chapter letter, seven times born of God. So he wants them to know what it means to be born again or born of God. So if you want to understand what it means to be born again, what are the results of being born again, then this letter is a good place to go. And some of you may be saying, what do you mean, born again? Well, you know, in, in John chapter 3, Jesus has the discussion with Nicodemus where he talks about you have to be born again. And he says, how can I be born again? I, you know, I can't go back into my mother's womb and, and be reborn. And he speaks of not just a natural birth, but a spiritual birth. Meaning when God comes to take up residence in your life, it is like a new birth. It's a new start. You're like a baby. You get a fresh beginning. And some of us are thankful for that because we ruined what we had. And we're thankful that God gave us a new start, a new birth, and a new direction in our lives. So the result of that, the reality of that, that's all in here. Seven times he uses that phrase. Fourteen times he uses the word agape. That's a Greek word, not an English word. It's translated here, love. So when you read the word love, behind that is the Greek word agape. Fourteen times in a five-chapter letter, he uses that word. So if you want to know what it means to love, what are the results of love, what's the obligation of love, this is a good place to find that out in 1 John. The other word he uses a lot is the word, the Greek word gnosko, which is where we get uh, the word knowledge. It's to know something. Maybe you've gone to the doctor and you've gotten a prognosis. The word gnosis is knowledge, and the word uh, pro is before. So it's to know beforehand. So the doctor says, well, you know, you, this is what's going to happen. You've got this long to live, or that's a prognosis. He's saying beforehand. So that's knowledge beforehand. So the word gnosis is knowledge. 21 times he uses that here in, in this book. So knowledge has something uh, to do with what he's writing about as well. With all that said, um, here's what I think you have to know getting into this passage is that just because you say something is true doesn't mean it's true. Just because I say uh, my sweater is blue doesn't mean it really is, right? I mean, you can say almost anything you want. You can say, I love you, but that doesn't mean that you really do. Because love is one of those words like faith that's sort of invisible unless it's demonstrated. That's when love becomes real. So there has to be a demonstration of it. So you can say, I love you all day long, but what you do will actually show whether or not that is true. The people in the church at this time were struggling with a couple of things. There was a group of people in the church that based their relationship with God on, on special, uh, a special understanding that only they had. So in other words, they would say to maybe you and I today, if they were in here with us, this, they, who practiced this religion called Gnosticism, uh, from the same root word as knowledge, they would say to you and I, well, it's great that you um, are, are, are coming to church and that you know about Jesus, but we have some superior knowledge. We're growing closer to God in our knowledge of him, and, and you can't know it on your own. You have to get it from us. And it's only us who know that that are really going to be liberated from these sinful bodies. And so they were putting a real trip on people, and people were going, oh, I don't know if we're really saved or not. They're confusing. You ever been confused by somebody? They've come and they said some things to you about, well, maybe you're not really saved because you don't know what we teach. You don't have our special book. You don't know our secret handshake, that kind of thing. And you're like, wow, well, I don't know. Maybe I'm not really saved. 
And so Paul, I mean, excuse me, John writes in this letter a number of things to reassure the people in the church about their salvation and their relationship with God. So he gives them some tests to apply to their lives. For those that were questioning and discouraged and and being challenged, he gives them these things as a reassurance. Hey, if these things are in your life, then whether you know their special knowledge or not, you're saved. You're born again. But for those that claim to have the special knowledge and claim to know God more intimately, he would say to them, actually, you're the very ones that don't know God. So you have to know what you're looking for to know what the truth is about whether someone is connected to God or not. And there are some really simple tests. And the one primary test of a relationship with God is this, love. That is the surefire way to tell, way to know if you, if I, if someone else has been born again. They will love. Not just with any love, but with the love of God. So that's kind of the background for this conflict that's going on in the church. And John bringing some just real clarity. In verse 7, he begins with, Beloved, let us love one another. And in verse 11, he ends with, We also ought to love one another. So you think he's pretty uh, adamant to let us know that we should love one another? He says, Beloved, which means my dear ones. I mean, just so fatherly in his presentation, so fatherly, uh, lovingly in his address. He wasn't frustrated with them. He wasn't angry at them. He was saying, Dear people, ones that are loved. That's what beloved means. It means a dear person who is loved. He says, you guys are loved. Beloved ones, let us love one another. So that's where he starts. Uh, It seems to be pretty simple. Makes sense. The challenge is, is that little word love. Because I think if you took a poll in the world, maybe even in the church, and I said to you or you said to others, Write me a two-sentence definition of the word love. Just think about that for a minute. How would you define love? What would it involve? What would the elements of that be? Can you think about a definition in your mind? Would it be, well, love is the feeling I get when? Or or love is an action or love... You would have to define that. And it's harder than you think, isn't it? As you sit there and even think about it, it's like, wow, that's harder than I expected it to be. Now, in the English language, we have one word, love. But we know that there are many different types of love. You know, a person, I mean, I love my job. I love teaching God's word. But I also love my kids. And I love my wife. And, and way too much, I love mint chocolate chip ice cream. But can we agree that those are different kinds of loves? I don't love my wife like I love mint chocolate chip ice cream. And it's Valentine's Day, so I'll say I love my wife more than mint chocolate chip ice cream. But you get, you get what I'm saying, right? There's different kinds of love. And so the Greek language, the ancient language, they had different words to mean these different types of love. So if you wanted to talk about a physical uh, type of love, a sexual type of love, a sensual type of love, you would use in the Greek the word eros. You would say, I eros you, which would mean the, the love that's sexual in nature, where we get the word erotic. It's the same root word. So that's one type of love, the physical, um, romantic type of love. And all of these types of love are important. They're all, they're all necessary. Another type of love, you might say, uh, is a family love. I have a daughter, and I, and I love her. I have a son. I love him. Uh, these are my kids. Of course I love them, right? I, this is the Greek word storge. I storge my daughter. 
Now, if I said to you, I eros my daughter, you'd think I was a sicko. Because that's the, you know, but they both mean love, right? So if I say I love my daughter, you have to know, I'm, I'm talking storge. The family love of storge is, a, is that familiar, that you're always welcome here kind of love, that familiar kind. This is the love that a couple that's been married 50 years have together. This, this love of familiarity. I'm comfortable with you. That's a certain type of love. And then there's where I grew up. I grew up in Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. So the word phileo in the Bible is the word that means brotherly love or a friendship love. And this is a love that is, is, it does have emotions connected to it. It's, uh, it can be between two men, two women, or the opposite sexes. It, it's, uh, it's a give and take kind of love. Jesus would say, um, if you love those that love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do that. So the phileo is the give and take love. You know, I give to you, you give back. I invite you over for dinner, you invite me over for dinner. We have a friendship. And it's friendship love. And it can be very deep friendship love. This is the love that David and Jonathan had in the Bible. They loved each other. So that's phileo. Now, but the love here, and this is what you have to remember as John is talking about this, he's not thinking about eros or storge or phileo. He's got this fourth kind of love in mind, and it's the word agape. The agape love of God. And that is the unconditional love that is rooted in God does not concern itself with the worthiness of the recipient, does not concern itself with the character of the recipient, but only with the need of the recipient and the will of the giver. So in other words, the agape love doesn't do that well. I love you if you love me. Oh, how happy we can be. I grew up watching Barney and whatnot. Some Barney fans in here. But that, that's more a phileo thing, like, you know... But that's typically, see, the typical love we experience, and many of us grew up with it, is conditional love. I do for you if you do for me. I give to you if you give to me. If you don't give to me, then I ain't giving to you. If you don't do for me, I ain't doing for you. If you don't love me, then I ain't loving you. We do unto others as it has been done to us. But agape love doesn't say that. Agape says, I love you because it's who I am. And because it's right. Just turn one page back. Give you an example to chapter 3 of 1 John. Just look, I'm going to skip ahead for a little bit here. Look at verse 18. John says to the people in the church, he calls them his little children. I love that. When you're 95 years old, you can call everybody your little children. My, by the way, this year my grandmother turns 100. We're going to her birthday party. She is spry. She still volunteers at the hospital. And she goes to her doctor, and the doctor looks at her and says, what do you want me to tell you? Whatever you're doing, keep doing it. You're 100. And she said, we, last time we saw her, she was 99. And, and I said to her, uh, you know, what's the best part about being 99? She says, no peer pressure. So he calls them his little children. He says, little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Let's not just talk about it. Let's not just give lip service to love. Oh, yes, we love each other. And by the way, it's one of the comments I get most often here at the church as the pastor. People come to me and they say, you know, when we come to Calvary Chapel, we just feel loved. And I think, just as a caveat, I'm not here 
preaching down to you, what I'm telling you is I think God is doing this in you guys. And I hope and I pray that God is, that you're abounding more and more, that we don't go, well, we're, we're, we're pretty loving, that's good enough. I think that maybe we can be more and more loving. And not just talk about love or, or plan to love. We can have meetings about love and meetings about how we're going to do this and do that. But ultimately, it has to get done, right? There has to be something that happens. So he says, let's not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Let's do it. Back up to verse 16. He says, by this we know love. So how do we even know what love is? Because he laid down his life for us. That's how we even have a measure to understand what it is we're talking about when we talk about agape love. It's the laying down of a life. It's the willingness to put me aside and embrace you. That's what agape is. Agape doesn't look for my needs to be met. You know, when you get into a marriage and you're selfish, if you get two selfish people getting married together, I mean, it's brutal. Everybody's trying to get their needs met. I need to manipulate you to get you to do what I want. And it's just rough. And it just doesn't work. You know, and so we, we have irreconcilable differences. I love me and you love you. And we can't seem to hash it out because I can't love you and you won't love me. So, but agape love, unconditional love, sacrificial love, is the love that when there's no other love present in a marriage, when the couple hasn't had sex in a year and there's no friendship and none of that stuff, it's agape love that will keep that commitment strong. It's that willingness to love you even when and especially when you do not deserve it. And this was God's love toward us. That he laid, when I was without strength, when I was steeped in sin, rejecting God, that is when he died for me. He didn't wait for me to get my act cleaned up. He didn't wait for me to get right with him. He didn't wait for me to do it. He loved me while I was my worst. Don't you love someone who will love you at your worst? I mean, isn't that great to know that you're having a bad day, you wake up on the wrong side of the bed, you don't look your best, and you know that that person is going to love you anyway. He says, by this we know love, he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Well, how does that look practically? Verse 17 tells us, whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? When the love of God is in you, you see needs because you have the eyes of God, you have the mind of God, and you see a person in need, and your heart, it's that love that compels you to do something around the world. Where would the world be without Christians who, motivated by the love of God, who, compelled, compelled by the love of God, have started orphanages, have started hospitals, have spread mission where, I mean, done medical missions, have adopted, have discipled, have risked their own lives because of the love of God in their heart. When you see a need and you go, I, I just got to go. I got to do something about it. That's the love of God. And he says, if you, if you see need and then you have the capacity to shut it off, to shut up your heart, then he says, how, how does the love of God abide in you if you do that? How's God's love going to stay? God's love, it's going to get cold. Your love is going to get colder and colder the more you shut your heart. And selfishness is the greatest enemy to agape love. If you're so busy trying to get your own needs met, you don't have time to meet other people's needs. When God comes into your life, he satisfies you. He satisfies you. He satisfies your every need. You find yourself content, full, blessed. What? 
And that sets you free. Your, your love sets you free to love other people. So go back with me to chapter 4. He says, let us love one another. I don't care what anybody else is doing. I don't care what your friends in high school are doing. I don't care what your neighbors are doing. They may treat you bad. They may give people what has been given to them. But don't you do that. He says, we're children of God. He says, so let us love one another. It's a mutual thing. It's a reciprocal thing. If it happens in and among the church, it's a beautiful thing. If it happens in a marriage, through love, serving one another. When, when this one, is, instead of trying to get needs met, is saying, hey, what can I do for you? The greatest question you can ask in your marriage, what can I do for you? That's, a, that's, a, that's an agape question. Not what you can do for me. What can I do for you? And if two people in a marriage are asking that question of each other, where could you go wrong? What can I do for you? Oh, no, no, what can I do for you? No, 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 really, let me do for you. No, 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 let me do for you. Then you have real arguments, right? I wanted to serve you. <laughs> why? So, John, tell us why we should love one another. It says, for love is of God. That's why we should love one another. Because love, and the word of is the Greek word ek, E-K. It means out of, the origin, the source. Why should we love one another? Because God is the source of love. You can't give what you don't have. And, and I do way more marriage counseling than I'd like to do. I mean, I love doing marriage counseling because I love to see families reconciled. I love to see couples come back together. But it's really hard and it's impossible, almost impossible, if you don't have the love of God. Because some of you have not grown up in loving homes. You didn't learn it from your parents. You didn't get it at home. And so to sit with you and say, well, you've got to love each other. I mean, you can try, try, try. You can huff and puff and blow the house down and try to love. But if you don't have God's love, you don't have anything to give. You've got no source to draw from. I can promise you to give you, hey, Koki, I'm, I'm going to go down to the bank today. I'm going to withdraw a million dollars and give it to you. Oh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. But I get to the bank, I don't have a million dollars. So I can't, I can't give her what I don't have, can I? Now, if I was... Donald Trump's son, and I had his money to give, then I could afford it. If you don't have the source, if, if you don't have God, if you've never learned love from God, this kind of love, you don't even know what I'm talking about. It's hard for you even to comprehend unless you have received that love of God to you. Because he's the source. The world's not the source. The world's concept of love is twisted. Now, they've got some of the love. They've got lust pretty good. And self-centered love, which is lust and, you know, the eros kind of stuff. But this agape love, that's rare. And, and it, if you can't find it here, I don't know where you can find it. I mean, we can go out in the world and find, we can criticize one another. I can go, you know, I, you can go to, the, to different places and you can find people that will gossip about one another and criticize one another and judge one another and all of those things and fix one another. That's what we love to do that in the church. Don't we like to fix one another? But show me a church where the people really love one another. Go out of their way to minister to each other and I'll show you a church where people come in and say, the Spirit of God is in this place. Not because the lights are down and the, the fog machine is on, and everybody is standing, going, oh, and swaying, and that's all fine. But you can do all that stuff and still not love. And all of this stuff, all the external stuff, doesn't mean you're saved. Doesn't mean you're born again. But the true test 
is, do you love? Here's a couple of quick questions for you. This is from the book, uh, Love Life for Every Married Couple. He does a section on each of the types of love. This is from his section on uh, agape love, the unconditional love that God has shown us. Just a self-test. Ask yourself this question. Is my treatment of other people usually based on their behavior? If the answer to that is yes, then you're practicing conditional love. If you would say no, then maybe you're in agapeville. Does my partner's performance determine the degree of love I give him or her? So is your love performance-based? If it is, then it's not agape love. Do I, do I think that love should be shown only as a reward for good behavior? Do I feel that my partner or spouse has to change before I can love him or her more? If the answer is yes, that's conditional love. Do I think I can improve my partner's behavior by withholding love? You know how that goes. Try to fix each other, well, a little behavior modification. That's conditional. Am I reacting to other people most of the time? If your love is only responsive, only reactive, then that's conditional love. That says, well, I'll love you under the certain conditions. I'll love you if you do this. I'll love you if you do that. Esau, remember, his father loved him because he gave him of his game. He made the, the nice meal for him. It was conditional. And maybe some of you learned conditional love from your parents, from your father. And I'm going to tell you that the father wants to show you and give to you his unconditional love. Back with me to 1 John chapter 3, as we now have defined, excuse me, chapter 4, as we have defined what type of love is being talked about, and the clock is ticking on me here, so we need to keep moving on. Uh, Let us love one another. Why? Because love is of God. He's the source, and if we're his, then that ought to be what we do. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. So as they're doing, applying their test to themselves of are they really spiritual? Are they really born again? Is he born again? Is she born again? And, and you, don't, you, know, you don't want to be judging other people in this, but there are people that, that will say and claim to be a certain thing, and you have to be able to say, well, how do I really know if this person is spirit-filled or not? Remember, the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. How do you know if the Spirit of God is living in my life? He takes selfish people and make them love, makes them loving, makes them sacrificial. So if you're, maybe, you know, this isn't meant to condemn you. Like, I'm not here to, to put a heavy trip on you, but maybe the Word is showing you, maybe I need to be born again. Maybe it's you. Maybe you go, I look at my life and I just don't see a whole lot of love coming from me. I'm angry, I'm bitter, I'm this, I'm that. I would say, need to be born again because there's no other source for this kind of love you can't trump it up you can't make it up you can't work it up it comes from god and once god put that puts that love in your life there's like this i mean you just you're just overflowing with with love and you you can't explain it until you've experienced it am i right so how do i know everyone who loves in this way regularly as a lifestyle you don't see this everywhere is born of God and knows God. And that's in the present and continues to, to demonstrate a, a, that he knows God. Look, if you want to really know God, if you say, God, what do you like? Show me, show me who you are. Show me yourself. Start loving people who are really hard to love. And then you'll know what, more about what God is like. I mean, you, you say, well, you know, love, God, you want me to love him? 
I mean, you would love her? Like, they really rub me the wrong way. Like, give me someone easy to love. Well, then you won't know the love of God. I mean, God loves people that are easy to love, but which of us in here is easy to love? And if you say it's you, then we'll talk to your spouse. We're quirky. We're nuts. The world has gone crazy. Do you know this has happened? The world has gone crazy. And God says, I love that crazy world. I love those people. I love the homosexual. I love the Muslim. I love whoever you want to talk. I I love the world. Because he doesn't wait till you're acceptable or worthy or cleaned up or it's who he is. Let's, Let's move on. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God. For God is love. Wow. Okay, if God is love and he's in us, then what would that produce in us? Love. I mean, it's a really, really simplistic equation. It's not, it's a no-brainer. It's not complicated. I mean, people bring all kinds of complicated things. How do you know if you're, well, you got to read the right Bible. You got to go to the right church. You got to wear the right clothes. You got to follow the right traditions. John says, forget it. If you are born again, the biggest thing that will change is you will demonstrate the love of God. Why? Because he is love and he's in you. And if he's in you, you got no other choice. I mean, that's what you will be. God is love. He has no other agenda toward you than love. Now, I didn't always learn that growing up. We learned about the God who wants to drop the hammer, right? We learned that God is really mean and God is really picky. And if I don't do things just the right way, he's mad at me all the time. God is mad at me. And God gets to speak for himself today. And he says, beloved, I want you to know this, that I I know some difficult things have, have come across your life. I know there's been some things you don't understand, but you have to understand this, that I am love. And that whatever, so we interpret everything in our lives. Everything, you want to interpret the Bible right? You got to understand that God is love. You interpret from that. All of the laws, everything he's written, it all comes from, stems from the root of love. Well, God has wrath, doesn't he? Yes, but that comes from love. I mean, if, if you touch my daughter because I love her, you got to deal with me. You're going to see some wrath coming your way from a loving father who doesn't want to see his daughter get hurt, right? If I didn't love my daughter, I said, oh yeah, you, you, you put a hand on my daughter, no problem, you know, that would be like really unloving, wouldn't it? So there's not an inconsistency between God's wrath against sin and his love. This is why God hates sin so much, and God loves people. Remember, he says, I love the world. What God doesn't love, what his wrath is against, is unrighteousness and sin. He hates sin Why? Because sin hurts the people he loves. He tells you what he tells you, not because he's a big party pooper, not because he doesn't want you to have any fun, because he wants you to experience life, and he knows what produces it. And so these are all part, they're not inconsistent. He is love. What if he wasn't love? Which is why a lot of people question, I look at the world out there, and I I don't know, I don't see a loving God. As I look at the world we live in, that's uh, someone in my family comes with that approach. Well, I, you talk about a God of love, but I look at the world and I say a lot of stinky things in the world. How can you say God is love? Well, I say there's a lot of people in the world that have rejected a God of love and, and chosen selfishness and they hurt each other. 
But if, if this kind of agape love, if this kind of self, selfless love existed in, in the world, what kind of world would we live in where each, everybody was sacrificing for each other? Everybody was putting each other first. What, would that change the world? Would it change the church? Oh, yeah. Lord, help our flesh to get out of the way. That's the only thing that gets in the way is my stupid flesh, my selfishness, my old nature. Man, that keep God from expressing his love through me. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Um, maybe you come across someone who is a Muslim, and you can talk to them about Allah. And there are passages that talk about uh, that Allah loves the righteous. Allah loves the, the, the one who does good. Allah loves the one who uh, follows him. But there's no love from Allah for the sinner or for the unrighteous or for the unbeliever. We serve a God. Our God of the Bible is the God who has love not just for those who do good, not just for those who follow him, but for the ones that reject him and the ones who don't know him and the ones who don't follow him and the ones who don't do what's right. He said, again, I said, while I, while I was a sinner, he died for me. So that's a different deal. Verse 9 tells us, In this the love of God was made manifest or made known to us, so, toward us that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. So how does a God we can't touch, we can't hug, we can't see, we can't feel, how does a God like that demonstrate love? I mean, if I want to tell my wife I love her, I go over and give her a hug, send her some flowers, something like that. And that all says sort of, I love you, I'm thinking of you. But what does God do? Whose who's spirit? Well, what he did was he made us loan, his love known toward us by sending the thing that was most precious to him, most valuable to him, his one and only unique son, sent him into the world so that we could live through him. Knowing our greatest need. See, God looked down from heaven. He saw our greatest need that we needed a Savior. That was our greatest need. We needed a Savior. And so he sacrificed himself. Took on, he stepped out of eternity and took on mortality. That's a huge sacrifice. Stepped out of eternity, took on mortality so that we who were mortal... Die, had died in our sins, we were mortal, could take on eternity. He who had the riches of heaven took on the poverty of living on earth so that we who were impoverished spiritually could be enriched, could be rich. He gave everything. He sent his only son. So now we go, Lord, where do you want to send us? How can you send us out to be that demonstration to other places? He sent his son to the world that, uh, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So again, defining love, making it known. Here's love, not that we loved God. You see, God didn't, you know, he didn't wait for us to, to he wasn't looking down in our service going, wow, look how much they're, they're raising their hands. Look at the songs they sing to me. Boy, I, I really think they love me. So you know what? Maybe I'll go ahead and love them back. God's love was not responsive, it was initiating. He initiated. Sometimes, I mean, if you are, have the love of God in you, that makes you an initiator. You don't sit back and go, I'll go to them after they come to me. I'll let them make the first move. God says, no, 
I made the first move. The real love is not that we love God and then he just responded. We can't take any credit. God looked down and said, those poor people. Oh man, are they confused. Oh man, are they a mess. I got to do, I love them. I got to do something to try to help them. Knowing he'd be rejected. Knowing he'd be crucified. Knowing he'd be spit on. Knowing his beard would be torn out. Knowing he'd be abused. Knowing he'd be cursed at. Did it stop him? Does it stop you? It shouldn't. If God is love, and I, and, and I have him in me, that's, that is my MO for life. That I do what I do because it's who I am, not because it's how I feel. It's called character. It's called the nature of God in me. And, and again, you can't, you can't produce that. It comes just from God. He sent his son to the world, um, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. That's the amazing thing, folks. That's the trippy thing, is that he loved me. I was reading this passage about 10 years ago. I was reading through 1 John, driving down Pantops Mountain in Charlottesville, and it just hit me. God loves me. And for some of you, you've grown up without love. You've been ashamed. You've you've done things and you go, how could God ever love me? He loves you because it's who he is. Not because of what you've done or haven't done. You get that has nothing to do with you. This is the hardest thing to communicate to people. Because if you got it, you'd stop trying to earn a love you already have. You stop trying to impress him. You stop trying to earn his favor, earn his, his love for you. You realize you already have it. So everything you do comes from the fact that you are already loved as much as you could ever be loved. He can't, he can't love you any more than he did when he was on the cross. When you were far from him, separated from him, in your sin, in your drug addiction, in your religious thing, whatever it was you were doing, he can't love you any more than he did then. Because then we get saved and we start to walk with him and think, oh, now I'm always in danger of losing his love. No! No. He loves you. And when that became clear to me, it changed my life. Changed everything. I, started, I picked up the phone. I called Frank Signore. I said, Frank, God loves me. God, and he loves you too. That's even more amazing. Frank was here first service, so I can say that about him second service. He would agree. Uh, it's amazing. Especially, see, again, you can't give what you don't have. Hurt people, hurt people. War on the inside equals war on the outside. I don't know what's going on in your marriage. I don't know what's going on in your family. I don't know what's going on at your school. I don't know any of that stuff. I don't have to know. Here's what I know. I know that this agape love of God is so powerful and so strong and so active. It blows people away. It blows people away. And, and, it, and if that's your source, that has to be your source. You can't give what you don't have. He loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation or the satisfaction for our sins. That's how much he loved us. Instead of waiting till we got our act together, instead of waiting till we figured it out, he said, these people need a savior and I'm going to send my son to do it. And he did. And so he finally ends with, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Uh, interesting, again, bookends, beloved in verse 7, beloved in verse 11, uh, loving one another in both. But look at the little word so. Don't skip over that. 
if God so loved us. What does that mean? So means in the same way. If God so, if God so loved us, if, if this is the way that God loved us, then we also ought to have a moral obligation to love one another. So it's really a fairly straightforward passage, isn't it, folks? I don't know how you test or check your own spirituality. I don't know how, what impresses you about other people. Uh, people can talk a good game. Uh, they can really um, put the show on, can't they? Uh, I pray not around here. You know, Paul said, let love be without hypocrisy. Not faking it because you're not saved. If you get saved, and maybe you need to get saved, maybe, you know, you can't come to church. Uh, uh, Phil, if you would just come on up and, and um, bring your praise team up. Uh, you might come and say, oh, I just need something. You know, my marriage just needs help. I mean, I don't want to be saved, but my marriage just needs some help. Or my this needs or that. There's no, you can't do it yourself. So I want to invite you as we stand, and, and you'll stand with me if you would. Um, I, I know sometimes it's embarrassing to say you need help, right? I mean, who wants to admit that they need help? Because other people are watching me, right? They, oh, I, don't, I can't let other people know I need help. Listen, we already know you need help. I needed help. Phil, he really needed help. He was a religious guy, grew up in church. So I want to invite you to take a, a step of faith today and say, you know, my mar- our marriage, honey, we need to go up because our marriage really needs help. We do free marriage counseling. We have resources for you. Anything we can do for you. But the one thing we can't do for you is make you accept Christ into your life. Only you can do that. So I'm going to invite you to come down. If you want to receive Christ into your life, you as a couple, you as an individual, just come down. I'll be right over here to my right, to your left. And uh, we can pray today and, and you can experience the love of God being poured into your heart to give you a resource for things that you can't even comprehend. Amen?